0: Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Couch Holes podcast. I'm your host, Molly Sumridge, and I am so excited that you're here joining us. The feedback we've gotten on episode one has been amazing, and I'm so excited to be talking to you guys about our topic for today. Our topic for today is primitive service dogs, or working dogs, depending on what part of the world you're from. And I'm so grateful for the guests we have today. Today we have Regina Lizick and Courtney Hume, two amazing advocates both for people you know, who use service dogs, as well as primitive dogs and beat Inus in general. Lee, so Regina, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and Buttons.
1: Hi, I'm Regina Lizick. I have a whole host of medical and health problems and disabilities, but the main one that affects my life is that I'm legally blind. And when I got Buttons, I, I didn't get him with the intention of having a guide dog at all. Um, and then he... Sm- While I've had him, my vision has gotten progressively worse. Um, And he started to alert me to things like stairs um, and some other objects in my periphery. And when he did that, I, I realized he was doing that. I thought, let me see if I can train him. do this consistently because obviously that's the big thing with the service dog it has to be consistent um so I did a lot of research about all the laws a lot of research about dog training because I knew nothing um I kind of horrified at some of the stuff I did (laughs) but um I knew nothing but um we worked for about a year to develop the tasks that I needed to make sure they were consistent to work on his public access and all of that and and now, you know, he's, he's dependable and I rely on him, you know, so that I can go out in crowds without being afraid. I mean, it really, he made me unafraid to be out in public.
0: That's amazing. I am I mean, I'm so impressed with, you know, what you've done and the partnership you have with you and your dog and how he improves your life and your overall wellness. And I just think that's amazing and a beautiful story. Um, Courtney, can you tell us a little about you and your service, Sheba?
2: Sure. I am Courtney Hume, and I got the Chia with the intention of making him my service dog because I saw buttons. So buttons and Regina started out uh, like rock stars. They were rock stars to me. I had a disability. I'm not ill. I am injured. I have spinal injury that prevents me from bending at the waist and doing a lot of – it limits my mobility a lot. So I kind of was thinking, I need, like, an assistant or, like, a little helper, like, around the house, <laughs> like my own Oompa Loompa, to do chores for me because I couldn't accomplish simple everyday things anymore. I couldn't do my laundry. I couldn't empty my dishwasher. I couldn't take out the trash. I couldn't do these everyday things that people take for granted because it would hurt me so much to do so, and the medicine I was on was giving me more side effects than help. So I thought that a service dog was something that could help me because I saw... Um, what things like helper dog Harlow was doing for her owner, chronically Jackie, her name is on YouTube, but I wanted to do it not with a golden retriever or a or like a large breed because I'm a little girl and that would just overtake me. I don't think I could handle a hundred pound dog, but that's more than I am. So I was like, I get a small breed that needs, that has its own intelligence. I want it to be able to make its own decisions and not just respond to my cues. And I researched a lot of breeds and I found that a Shiva, was something that could do that for me and only would get to be about 25 pounds, but you know, would do, was small enough so that it could reach me, like to bring back an item that I had dropped or get something on a low shelf and still get back to up my level. So I thought it was, I knew it was possible when I saw that Regina had buttons as her service dog, and I was like, now I can do this. So I found a trainer and I tossed Chio into training right away. He was with the professional trainer did private program since he was 13 weeks old because I knew nothing. This was my first dog. I didn't even know how to teach a dog to sit. So I had a uh, private trainer work with him. And then by the time he was five months old, he had done test training. He was already doing laundry, my dish, my dishwasher, opening my fridge, getting me water bottles, and just basically human than I could be. And I took over his training from there because my trainer taught me how to train. So I ran with that, and I just loved doing it. I found this was a new passion for me. And Buttons shares a big similarity with Chio that, I, and I have visual disturbance. I'm not legally blind, but I definitely can't drive a car, and I have trouble with my peripheral. So I had all these bruises all over my legs, and I was just a mess from the waist down because I couldn't. I have neuropathy in my legs, so I couldn't feel when I was into something. Now that I have Chio, I have almost no bruises on my legs anymore. He guides me around things I can't see. so I have a lot of the same benefits given Raena and it's only because I saw her do that with him that I had the confidence to do it with my own Shiba.
0: That's awesome that's that's such an amazing experience Courtney and I appreciate that especially you know how you brought in how it affected you in your relationship with training and um Also, that you sought out this breed, which I think is pretty cool, because that's not um, something that I think most people even think of. And that actually sort of brings me to my first major question. Um, And we'll start with Regina. Well, we'll basically go Regina Courtney, just because that's super easy. And I think you guys bring really awesome, different um, ideas to the table on these questions. So the first question is, do you think primitive dogs can be working dogs or service dogs? What do you think, Regina?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I don't understand the why people say they can't be or why they think um that buttons or chio are exceptions to the rule i well for one all dogs are individuals right so it is up to the dog
0: mm-hmm. That's it.
1: it is who that dog is whether that dog is a primitive dog or lab or a doberman or a mixed breed of who knows what mm-hmm. you know it's up to the dog. So yes, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, I, when I chose a Sheba, it was because I, all the things that people said like, Oh, you don't want a Shiba because of X, Y, Z. Those were things that I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. In a dog. <laughs> like, I did not want a dog who was going to follow me around everywhere. I didn't want, but I wanted a dog who would love me and be loyal, but I was looking for a roommate, right? I wasn't looking for, a lap
0: dog oh you said my favorite keyword they are a roommate they are a, you have a cohabitation agreement so i couldn't yeah, agree more of
1: course at the same time again dogs are individuals and we all know from sheba groups all of mm-hmm. the shebas who love to cuddle
2: mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
1: you know so it does just depend on the dog but um you know i think that of course breed traits exist so mm-hmm. i will say that i think the 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 trait of them being independent thinkers which is what Courtney said that was one of the reasons why she wanted a Sheba is that I they they like to think they like to solve puzzles and so when I figured that out about buttons and this was way before I even thought about training him as a service dog when I figured out that for him he likes to figure out the logic in something and he likes to do that then that that helped me train him and also knowing that he's like a logical creature Mm -hmm. I I think that makes him a great service dog and I think a lot of other primitive dogs share that personality trait
0: oh I think you're absolutely right I think being problem solvers and now that you know I think about it because I'm coming at it from a very privileged position of never needing to rely on my dog like you guys do um, how valuable that problem-solving skill is when you have to present them with real-life situations. So I think that's a really cool way of thinking about that. What are your thoughts, Courtney?
2: Yeah, I think a primitive actually makes it a, a maybe even better learner than mm-hmm. maybe a traditional dog because – uh, yeah, a lab or a golden would want more of, a, of clues from its owner. Maybe it needs more direction. Whereas my Shiva doesn't need a lot of direction from me. He is a good learner in in on his own. because He has his own drive and his own independent decision making skills. Like if I hit the floor and I, but that dog doesn't need a cue from me. He knows what to do. No, he doesn't need to know. Like if I drop something, I don't have to tell him. Hey, Chio, get it. He he just he can he knows where to apply his own skills.
0: That's fantastic. Um, all right, let me go then to another interesting question since we've now validated the idea that absolutely primitive dogs can be working dogs and service dogs. Um, what challenge does a primitive dog bring to the working role, Regina? What have you experienced? Um, so I think I'm not sure if I if I understood this right, but I. Think Think you guys have had some experience with other breeds, but this was your primary choice, but did you hit any walls either? Um, and this can be in training or this can even be an acceptance with having a, a primitive dog in a working role.
1: Well, I think the, the walls I ran into with training him happened before, uh, I was training him to be my guide dog. They happened when I first got him and, um, <laughs> I don't want to bore everybody with the story but I really thought he hated me at first um, oh. and it was just I was so green I mean I had had dogs in my life before I had family members who had dogs you know dogs that I spent a lot of time with but I knew nothing about dog training um and you know the first things that come up on the internet when you look about dog training aren't really helpful or good or positive um so um buttons and I hit a lot of walls at first and then when I just the question that I had to ask myself was what does he need from me to to do what I need him to do and that all the walls came down when I started asking that question and so training wise that opened up everything for us
0: sure no, that makes a lot of sense. And has there been any discrimination that you've experienced having? Oh, all uh, the time. Okay. And I do have a question related to that, but I was just sort of, sort of curious about that. Where does my second question go? Oh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, we, I mean, we get a ton of discrimination from Shiba owners, from service dog handlers, and um, then just from the average person too. Wow. But, discrimination.
0: Oh my gosh, that's awful. Is it just that people don't think that's a service dog or is it that they don't think that the breed can do the job?
1: Um, both. Okay. Both. Um, you know, I've I've had people, you know, because Buttons is I guess sort of high profile, you know, mm-hmm. I get people who just will message me on um on his Facebook page. I had somebody message me and say, "How does a dog so small do heavy mobility?"
0: Uh, oh i think i remember hearing about this i know it's ridiculous
1: he doesn't do heavy mobility I, i'm not mm-hmm. he's not driving my wheelchair like i'm not in a you way know, like that he's not doing heavy mobility yeah um, but you know i think people assume that because he's not what you think of as a guide dog um mm-hmm. they assume that he's not one
0: mm-hmm.
1: that even if i'm even if i am legitimately legitimately disabled that i'm trying to force him to do something he's not capable of doing, which I'm very against doing. I do see a lot of owner trainers do that and it's definitely a problem. But, um, no, yeah, the main discrimination is people thinking that, um, I just wanted to, I think most people get this, that I just wanted to take my cute fluffy dog with me somewhere. You know, that's, that's the main thing. It's because he's not a standard breed. And we wouldn't have, as much are you really blind is he really a guide dog if he was a lab or golden or something like that or even a German shepherd and probably even if he was a mix I think it's his size and that he's a rare breed that just really throws people for a loop
0: no that makes total sense let me hop over Courtney what about you what are your feelings again and I'll just repeat the question for anyone listening um, what challenge uh, does having a primitive dog bring to the working dog role
2: so here's a saying I like to, t- to teach everyone that I am um, helping their service dog. I like to say, your dog is doing his best with the information that you are giving him. So I ha- my challenges came later with Chio um, rather than at the beginning. But what a primitive will do that a other another type of dog won't is they'll test the boundaries. They'll challenge the rules. When once they've learned everything, you know, when a dog is in its own universe, to test the boundaries of the rules to see if gravity really works, like I so, um, <laughs> he'll wake up one morning and, and he'll, you know, loves the crate all the time ever since he was little. And then one day he'll wake up and say, nope, not going to do it anymore. So then here's my chance to say to him, no, these are the rules and the rules are consistent. So consistency and positive reinforcement are two cornerstones that I base training on when it comes to not just the primitive breed, but any dog, but maybe with a, prim- a little more because those in- that those independent gears are going to turn and say, am I really going to fall if I leap off this edge? You know, they're smart. They'll test you. So uh, what it was just keep reinforcing rules and keep rein- reinforcing what I wanted him to do with reward based training. And that makes him a happy worker.
0: That's awesome. Um, And what about, like I was talking to Regina about, what about the pushback that you've experienced? Any?
2: Yeah, we've had a lot of the same. I was laughing because we've had a lot of the same kind of questions and people saying, oh, you can't make a Shiva a guide dog or Shiva is too small for mobility. But let me, this is where I need to um, explain once and for all that mobility is an umbrella term. Mobility means, Or my weight, or taking, you know, pulling a heavy load, or taking a wheelchair, or me racing on him, nothing like that. Guide work is light mobility, and mobility also means assistance with my mobility as far as my. I can't bend, so that is a mobility issue. My Mm -hmm. dog isn't taking my weight by picking up an object, handing it to me, plus that is classified as a mobility task and that's what I've had to explain to the quote-unquote haters on our Instagram and our YouTube and anything else They all the social media platforms. People like to make their own assumptions of what mobility means, and it's not exactly.
0: That was that was really enlightening, and I really appreciate that because I admit I don't know. Um, I've always been interested in the psychiatric service dog um, element of, of this sort of work just because I know a lot more people that look for dogs for that sort of work and for PTSD and things like that. So, um, I grew up in an environment where there's a dog school for the blind and I was always growing up around dogs that were being trained for all these different things, but I never really knew the difference between, um, a medical alert, a mobility, a guide dog. And I'm really appreciative of you guys sort of, um, illustrating and explaining those things today with me so that we all can be on a common ground, having this conversation versus people making really inappropriate assumptions. Um,
1: well, I will, I'm going to interject for a yeah. second also that um, there are, even within the service dog community, the way that these dogs, dogs that do these tasks, the way that they're defined is sometimes different depending on who you're talking to, what organization you're talking to. Um, I think it's the Assistance Dogs International. They say there are three different kinds of assistance dogs. So that's the umbrella term they use.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: you have hearing dogs, um, you have guide dogs, and I might be a little wrong on this, um, these categories, but it's hearing dogs, guide dogs, and then service dogs. So they don't consider guide dogs service dogs. They say service dogs are something different than guide dogs, but legally they're not. They're the same thing, right? So that's some of the, like, I, I call buttons a service dog a lot, and I've had people say, well, I thought you said he was a guide dog. Like, it is the same thing,
0: but... Well, and even I think what you've described is even if you wanted to have those categories is that both of your dogs um, are cross category. Uh, They absolutely sort of, you know, I think even like Courtney was saying, you said, you know, if, if it's just guiding, then yes, they just guide, but also they pick things up, you know, they, they help you maneuver around things. They help you up and down steps, which as I think it sounds like there's also a mobility aspect to that. So then, I mean, I must, it must be very challenging then for the public in, in their own personal ignorance to to navigate this when you guys don't even have hard rules that you can sort of abide by.
2: Yeah, I think people should really use those terms like guide dogs, mobility dogs. They're really just adjectives to yeah. the bigger blanket of service dog because Chio is a man of many hats. He alerts to my PTSD, so that's a psychiatric service dog test guide that's a guide dog thing and then service dog he does mobility things for my you know my lack of range of motion so he's a mobility dog too so it's like do i call which thing do i call him so i just say service dog because he his tasks are a, a broad range of things because you know, let's say you know everyone's disabilities are different they're organic they're they are organic they do not fall into little categories and neither do people neither do dogs so i don't think it's fair to judge a dog or to put them into those categories and pigeonhole them into roles where really just doing a number of tests to assist a person's disability based on that person's individual needs. And that's why it's so hard to classify. Yeah.
1: And it's nobody's business what kind of dog, your dog is, right? It doesn't, it's not anybody's business. So.
0: No, that's a really good point. So actually that leads me, you guys are awesome. Cause I feel like it's so funny. Cause I made up these questions like, Five minutes before we got on here. And I didn't send them to you ahead of time. And you're just rolling through these. So we're clearly all in the same wavelength. So with 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 you know what you've just described, what is the experience of advocating like? You guys have social media presences, you know, you're very big on education. You just told me a lot of the walls that you experience. So what is the experience of ad- advocacy like, especially with the primitive dog aspect, not just the ignorance about what service and working dogs are in the first place? Now call him Regina first is
1: great. But also, I mean there are some times where I want to burst into tears from the discrimination that you know the blowback that you get. but I it's important for me to be an advocate and to have buttons this page. I mean I didn't start his page because I wanted people to look at my cute dog, which of course yes, I have a <laughs> very cute dog. but I started it because I wanted people to know that a service dog isn't just what you think. You know, when people think of a lab or a golden, that that's not just what a service dog is. And I also wanted people to know that blindness is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be legally blind and still have sight. In fact, 85% of people who are blind have some level of sight. Um, but, and then just that disabilities are so vast, you know, one person can have one illness or one type of disability, but the way they experience it can be so different. And the way their service dog helps them mitigate that disability can be different from how another service dog helps another person with the same disability handle their life. It's not one size fits all. There's no one specific type of dog that works great for a service dog. It's, it all just depends on that dog. And it also depends on that particular human being who has that disability, how they choose to work together as a team. And that's what I I wanted to highlight that. Yes. Buttons and I are different because the, the stigma surrounding service dogs and disabilities kind of says that, Oh, it, it all has to be the same and fit into this one box. So for me, the experience of advocating is sometimes really difficult and emotional, but it's also really worth it.
0: That's awesome. I, that's, that's so going to lead into where we're going with this, so definitely stay on this wavelength. What are your thoughts, Courtney?
2: Yeah, I definitely share a lot of Regina's passion for breaking down the breed stereotype. Of, uh, one big reason you uh, and I decided to post ourselves publicly because I want everyone to see that it's you know, any breed can do it and Shibas get a lot of bad press for being the untrainable dog, they say. Quote, and it's just something that's unfair, that's an unfair stigma. And I don't know how they earned it because he is the most bringable dog. He's just, he's <laughs> a I'm very well-volunteer in all of my trials and tribulations of being disabled. So I also wanted to spread the message, message with me is hope and never to give up on yourself because get, getting a service dog is an accommodation you get for yourself. And many people don't know it's an option. And they don't know how much a dog can help them. So what I've been able to do, and I love that I've been able to help many people with this, they see what Chia was able to do for me, even even as his breed, but any dog, just what a dog can do to help a person. And they've told me this was possible, that something else I can do to try and live my life and become normal and be independent in society and get back what my pain or my illness has taken from me by using a dog to help and get this great relationship too. It's a great symbiotic relationship where the dog gains from it and the person gains from it because the dog gets mental and physical stimulation and has fun and the person gets their life back. So I've been able to help train some service dogs via satellite just by posting YouTube tutorials and it's gotten a lot of people their lives back and I just don't think everyone should ever give up. There's always something you can do, something more. and I, I, dog, just
0: makes it... <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tick the box that I think everyone's tired of hearing, but I think you guys articulate a really important message when it comes to this. So we can approach it a couple different ways. I'm kind of gonna let you run with the topic because it's very emotional. I'm sure you already know where I'm going with this, but the hot button issue across at least every dog person's Facebook is, of course, Trigger warning here, the term face fake service dogs, which I, I knew I see Courtney laughing right now on the camera. So, um, bear with, but I do want to put this out there. This is not here to attack anybody. And I think we already made that very clear in the other part. Instead, I think I want to say, how do we navigate this issue instead of, um, how do we punish people? Cause I think we're both on the same, we're all three of us are on the same page that that's not the, you know, the right way to handle it. Regina, what are your thoughts?
1: So, um, <laughs> I have so many
0: thoughts. I know. This is a big topic we could dedicate an entire podcast to, and we might in the future, but we'll, yeah. I just want you guys to sort of put the sound bite you want out there about, um, either fake service dogs or people claiming primitive dogs are fake service dogs, like run with it as you want. Cause I think we all know we're not, like I just said, we're not here to, we're not here to call out or punish anybody. Yeah. It's probably quite the opposite.
1: I think. The the biggest problem is that it's all about, the. the, I hate to use the, the term call out culture, but there definitely is that within the service dog community, and then within the general public, and the biggest thing I want people to stop doing, well, obviously I want them to stop pretending to have a disability, but I want the general public to stop saying fake service dogs, right, because the dog isn't doing anything it is the person someone is faking a disability that is what's happening so it's fake disabilities not fake service dogs
0: no that's, I, I think th- that's a real that, i love that message that yeah i mean you the, the issue is about disability not about the dog
1: people think well who cares if i put a vest on my dog and say it's a service dog who cares mm-hmm. but people think twice if you if they think about it i'm faking a disability that does make people think twice, right? Because a lot of people will, you know, put a vest on their dog, but no, but if you, because they think that's harmless because they are, they take the disability out of it, right? So they don't understand that it impacts real people. However, most people wouldn't sit in a wheelchair and go around town in a wheelchair. They wouldn't do that because that's horrible. That's faking a disability, right? So we have to put it on, on those, that same level and call it what it is. And I think that changes so much. That'll change how people deal with service dogs when they see them and also make people think twice before they commit disability fraud. Cause that's what it is.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I love how you're portraying it that way that again, it's about, it's about defrauding somebody about a disability. Not the, the dog should not be included in the equation. It's what are you actually um, perpetuating. So that's that's amazing. Courtney, I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, there are consequences and people don't realize that it's, it's a selfish motive if you just want to do this to take your dog in public with you. Because we would love to not take our dogs in public and let them be pets. We would love nothing more than not need them. I love Chio, but I wish I didn't need him. You know? Mm-hmm. So I want that if you bring a service dog in public, you're not impersonating a disabled person but you pose me and my work dog because your dog isn't trained if your dog is aggressive if it's going to lunge at my dog who's trying to perform work for me now you're endangering other people around you you're not just doing something dumb anymore so I want to just instead of calling people out I'd like to gently educate that there are real consequences to what you're doing
0: No, I think again, like that's this is all so important. Like I, I wish I wish my audience was well. I mean, my audience is decent, but I wish my audience was bigger because you guys have articulated this problem, or how to how to look at this problem in such a different way than every soundbite and every post and the anger that's out there, um, because it is an important conversation. And when you hear about the things, even with emotional support and stuff like that. Um, it's, it, I don't feel like it's ever a constructive conversation and you guys just brought, I think the most constructive points out there. I mean, Regina, you saying that, you know, you're faking a disability and it has nothing to do with the dog and Courtney saying, you know, it would be awesome if my dog could just be a pet. Seriously. I mean, I went through a period of my life just to do a little bit of personal divulging where I was suffering from severe PTSD and I was legally disabled. Um, And I trained one of my dogs to be a service dog. She knew eight tasks. She was amazing. And I found in the first six months of using her in public, I had to stop because the amount of stress it was causing me to have to advocate for my dog was more than the help of my dog being present. And so
1: that makes me so angry. I mean, I just, that makes me
0: sh- <laughs> I know it's a very it's a very impassioned thing, yeah. and I, I want to make sure if Courtney has a thought too, she can say. but I mean, it's it I mean, this was, gosh, this was over thirteen years ago, and I'm not in the same place in my life anymore. And I know we've gotten a lot farther. And the crazy thing was this, maybe this is why it was harder where I lived is this is where there were guide dogs trained. So because she didn't look like the other guide dogs, maybe that's one of the reasons it made it harder. But then you guys have the same thing. She wasn't a Sheba, but you have the same battle by having a dog that doesn't look like a German Shepherd or a Labrador, you know, trying to get public access. So I'm sure that it's it. there are days when it's just, you have to ask yourself, is this worth it? But your dogs have done so much for you. I'm sure that in the end, it absolutely is. It's
2: worth it. And I really love that there's a lot of other things that I get to do with him that is not just about how he helps me. I used to help other people too, because even though, you know, his breed may be an attractive nuisance at times, you know, it can be a reason why people can discriminate against, you know, because he's not a lab or a golden, but you know, he looks more approachable. He looks like a stuffed animal. And for some time, sometimes children come up to us And will ask us, you know, oh, can I pet the puppy? And I have to explain to them this is the first time they've seen a service dog. So Chio's kind of like a little bit of a teacher in that moment. Or he can sit and be a representative of, you know, a puppy in a vest, you know, you don't touch that dog. You can ask the owner, but you don't assume you can touch the animal. So I use that as a teachable moment for, you know, members of the general public, too. I, I really want to extend what Chio can do beyond myself and Take it to the next level. He can help other people with what he does for me. Yeah, I with buttons too. I, I think
1: in some ways, maybe we encounter less discrimination a lot of times because he's not. I mean, I know the organization I work for trains dogs who were labeled pit bulls in shelters um, as service dogs, and of course. You know, a lot of the the people we give these dogs to, they experience discrimination because that's a pit bull, get that scary dog out of here, you know. And obviously these dogs would have never gone through our program if Mm -hmm. they were (laughs) any problems. So, and, you know, so we don't experience that, get that scary dog out of here um, because Buttons is so small and so fluffy. He's a little big for Sheba, I will say. Um, But, you know, the only thing we had happen was once in Target, a little boy said, mom there's a coyote in the store so that happened once (laughs) but um you know we don't have because he's cute um he's a conversation starter in a lot of ways
0: that's a good point actually this wasn't one of my questions but i gotta ask you both do you struggle with the fact that you since you have such cute service dogs that the public is constantly distracting your dogs (laughs) And oh my God, Courtney is laughing her head off right now. Um, I just had the audio set up so that we don't have a too much problems. But Regina, tell me right now, you know, with Buttons being the was one of the most hand one of the most. I can't, I can't discriminate against both of them. Handsome service dogs out there. Like, how is that when you're sitting at like a restaurant or you're walking through, you know, a a, a public, you know, a private establishment? Um, all the people that have to stop and see him.
1: Adults are worse than children. I have really? to say, for the most part, adults are worse than children. And I will have like people who will just kneel down and start to pet him. And I'm like, he's, don't do not do that. He's a service dog. I'm saying, oh, I didn't know. Meanwhile, like there's a giant leash wrap. <laughs> it says, no eye contact, do not touch, do not distract. And then he has the big thing on his vest that says guide dog. And like, I can't read those things. But um, I know they can see them. Maybe they're so overwhelmed by his cuteness. I don't know.
0: That, that, okay. that would be a funny retort though, to say, well, I'm legally blind. What's your excuse? Yeah. I mean,
1: comes, <laughs> you know, um, and some people just, some people just don't care. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I will say that I, I often, if, especially if we're in a place that's familiar to me, um, then, and, and. I don't think buttons is at any risk of like snapping back and, you know, just getting right back into doing his job. Mm-hmm. I often will let people say hi to him and, mm-hmm. and let people pet him. I, because I think it's a good teachable moment, especially for kids. I like to educate kids um, and about blindness and stuff like that and disability. Um, but I don't do it all the time because sometimes I have somewhere to go. Like I'm, I have things to do. we, I went to a renaissance festival and so it was the first time I took him to a renaissance festival and I spent more time talking to people about buttons than I did enjoying myself. Wow. It was, you know, the first couple of times it's like, okay, this is fine. But then it was just, I think I probably was rude at a certain point. To
0: people. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's exhausting. At, at some point, you've only gotten 50 feet in the first hour. You're like, all right, folks, here's my card. Let's have a webinar sometime because I'm done.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like I you are not the only person to have asked me. And I know you have good intentions and you, you, know, you love dogs and you love my dog and you're, you're just trying to compliment me and compliment my dog, but you're not the only person to ask me and I am here to live my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not part of the cast, as it were.
1: Exactly, right? And so I cannot do, live my life and enjoy myself if everybody's asking about my dog. So it's, it's complicated, because I know people think he's adorable, and he is adorable, and, and I totally get it. As somebody who loves dogs, I understand. But it's also about being respectful, not just of the dog space and the job the dog is doing, but of, that individual's time, right? I'm not out there to be an entertainer. I'm out there to, you know, go to Renaissance Festival. Or if I'm at the store, I'm out there to buy milk and
2: stuff like that.
0: Well, and it makes a good point. I mean, it's socially, we would never stop somebody on the street and be like, tell me about your wheelchair or tell me about your, you know, you know, mobility device, or tell me why you have a, I mean, oh God, tell me why you have a disability placard. Like that would be disturbing. And I'm sure there are somebody out there who thinks that's appropriate, but it's, it's just because it's a dog. I mean, we have a problem in American culture in general that all dogs in public are there for everyone else's entertainment, which also isn't fair for dogs that don't want to be bothered, which is a lot of our dogs. Um, but I could go on. Courtney, please, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this because, oh, my God, he knows so many tricks and he's so cute. And, like, I would want to squish him. <laughs>
2: Chio is very squishable, and he does have his TKE. Is the first Chio to get his elite performance title, so Chio is a little bit here for the payment in some aspects. But when I am out just doing things for myself, um, I'll give you a funny instance. I live in Florida, so I was a Disney annual pass holder for a lot of uh, the time that I've been here, including Chio's first year of working and you know being growing up and being a puppy. First thing I did, you know toss him into training, get him used to crowds. Three months old, we went to Disney. And even still, you know, uh, you'd think I'm walking around with Mickey Mouse. I'm like, hey, guys, characters are over there. <laughs> they just want to come see you. They're like, oh, my God. You'd, you'd think you'd, they'd never seen a dog before in their lives. And I really do love to stop as much as I can, as much time for to teach the the kids and parents about what he does, what breed he is. You know, I love, I love to uh, – spread education because that's where this starts. If I don't stop and talk and explain, you know, maybe they'll never find out. I ended up just making him a little business card that says, you know, if I can't stop and talk to you for a long time, here's a link to his Facebook, Instagram, and his YouTube. And you can look for about him on your own time if I don't have enough time to talk to you.
0: But I think that's great, because if you hand them something that they can take with them, then they may be able to pass that on to somebody else too someday and say, hey, I met this girl with her service dog, and she was really nice, and she gave me this info, and I love his YouTube channel, you should check it out. So I think that's really smart to sometimes give somebody something physical to take with them.
2: I always want someone to be able to do more for their own need. Like, if they know somebody that may need help, then they can say, oh, I've and this is the dog's website, and then they can contact me and ask where I got him
0: trained, how I did it, and they can look at the tutorials that i made. So it'll help. No, I think that's fantastic. You guys are awesome. So I'm just going to interject for a second, and for anybody who's, you know, still trying to remember what we're talking about, it's probably still pretty obvious, but I'm interviewing Courtney and Regina about their experiences having a primitive dog as a service dog or working dog or guide dog, or as we talked about earlier, whatever label seems to be the most, you know, appropriate box to stick them in at that moment. And I mean, you two have brought so much amazing information that I don't think anybody knows. I mean, I've been in the dog training community for 10 years and well, more than 10 years, but I've been doing it professionally for 10 years. This is actually exactly my business's 10th year anniversary. And something that I've always noticed is the conversation, you know, eight years ago or so it was the pretend your dog is a service dog so that you have more access for your highly trained dog. That was, that was the, the, the conversation piece, which I, I, I always thought was awful. And it's still there a little bit, especially in the competition community because they don't want to fly their dogs because they're scared. But you know, it's, it's, I don't, I think it's unethical and, you know, it's, it's wrong, but on the same token, thank goodness at least they're usually trained dogs. Um, but now I know the conversation, like we talked about a few minutes ago, was on you know this call-out culture of capture somebody on video and claim that what they're doing is wrong, even though you may have no idea what they're doing. They may not be falsifying a disability. They may legitimately be working with a dog you're not familiar with. A friend of mine... Well, a spouse of a friend of mine just posted on Facebook this past week Asking if pit bulls can be guide dogs Because one was in her establishment And she just didn't know what was right And she wasn't mean about it She legitimately was asking for more information But the disturbing part is she's asking the general public She's not asking somebody with any formal expertise on the subject So she's getting a lot of different answers Now, given a lot of her answers were really good answers um, But it's it's very challenging, and I mean, you hear about, you know, the airlines cracking down on emotional support animals, because, you know, peacocks and hamsters are, are complicated things. Um, so, I mean, there's there's just, I don't know how you guys sort of manage all the hurdles, but um, one hurdle I don't want to leave for you today is to keep you all day, even though I could talk to you guys about this forever. So, I'm going to ask you one more question, and you can run with it whatever you want, um, but what do you wish the public knew about owning a primitive service dog slash working dog. What do you think, Regina?
1: Um, I think, well, a lot of the public doesn't even know what a Sheba is. And then if they do, they really don't even know what a primitive dog is.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um,
1: yeah, I would say be mindful of the stereotypes about primitive dogs, even if they're based in fact. Um, just remember that Dogs are individuals, and that Shibas are not hard to train. (laughs) You you just have to approach their training like you should with any dog. That it's about building a relationship.
0: Absolutely.
1: And and that's you know the whole idea that a Shiba can't be a service dog comes from that misinformation that you can't train a Shiba. No, you can. Caesar Milan can't train a Shiba. But that doesn't mean that anybody else can't train a Shiba. You know, it's it's about building a relationship. And so I think a lot of it just comes from old training methods, old outdated training methods, lack of understanding of dog behavior, and lack of a willingness to have patience and build a relationship with a dog. So that's that's my thing. I think it's just much more about dog training and dog behavior in general that I wish people knew more about.
0: Oh yeah, well, well, amen, hallelujah, and all that good stuff. Because, you know, certainly the whole purpose of cowtools.com is to show people that when we use humane, cooperative, fear free methods, our animals are more than eager to cooperate and do all the fun things that we want them to do and all the complicated and sometimes not fun things because we teach them that there's something in it for them, which I'm sorry, is not I don't think it's a dirty word or or a bad way to have a relationship. In fact, it's fun because when you start looking into relationship psychology and humans, we're actually not any different. So I definitely, I definitely think I'm on the same page with you there, Courtney. I'm dying to hear your thoughts because you do so much training with Chio. I,
2: I yeah, I got real sick to the training aspect of it. I would like to say that people, the public, should really keep an open mind and that the individual talents of each breed and every individual within the breed, dogs, as are unique as the disabilities they help. Um, and I, I believe that there is a dog out there for every person, to, for every personality. And, and you know, don't ever say that it's a fake service dog because before Chia was even a year old, he had an airplane seven times. So you have no idea what that dog is capable of until you are brave enough. To, if it's a challenge, are you willing to take on uh, the and train him? You know, are you? I think that every dog has a talent and it's our as trained to help them reach that potential and let them explore all of their unique abilities that come with the breed that they are, the individual that they are. And it's just our jobs as people to let them achieve that and take them as far as they want to go with it. They can they they can be as great as you let them be. That's all I'm gonna say about it.
0: That you know what? I think that's the most incredible soundbite to sort of leave that on. I don't wanna cut anybody off if they have another thought, but that's it. It's you just you just wrap this whole conversation up in a beautiful package that says, They are capable if you teach them how to be capable. It's it really comes down to that as you know, we talk about the reason traditional and I say traditional in quotes, um breeds exist is because we wanted a dog that could be versatile and would comply to you know very complicated tasks and what we find out is that actually the dogs that all these traditional breeds come from our own dogs are just as capable they just don't want you to be a jerk about it
2: (laughs) your dog is doing the best with the information that you are giving him and he's only gonna be as good as you let him be yeah it's up to you
0: Yes, it's totally up to you. You're 100% right. And I think any- he's just so cute. Oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the hardest part is we go, Oh, that's good enough, because you're adorable.
2: Uh- <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. They're just like, Oh, you know, they'll give up. You know, what? I wanted to say this about a Sheba, too. If you want to say Shiva is stubborn, out stubborn him. Yeah. yeah, of course. I always say that whenever
0: my client says my dog is stubborn, I go, No, your dog is just more intelligent about." what they need to do to get the result they're yeah. looking for. Or if
2: someone told me my dog is stubborn, I say, no, there's no such thing as stubborn. Your dog is unmotivated.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely it. The dog has decided what the outcome is going to be. And they've just got more stick to than you do. Stubborn has always been that dirty word, like bossy. It's
2: like, yeah, really? I don't Cause... like the word stubborn. I say unmotivated. Yeah. Cause it is like,
0: you know, when people call women bossy, oh, you know, she's being bossy. And it's like, She's being assertive and you just don't like it. Like you Oh know, yeah, if it's... you're a
2: man, you're assertive. If you're a woman, you're bossy, yeah, right? Exactly. So I mean,
0: and it's the same with our dogs. If you're if you're if you're not always willing, regardless of how crummy the consequences are, you're stubborn. And it's like, no, they're just smart. That's yeah. all there is to it. Even my bird has an opinion. He's like, yeah. Well, you guys have been phenomenal guests. I want to keep you because I know that you both have very busy lives and you don't just have to worry about yourselves, but you have to worry about your partners. So I I want to thank you again for, for coming on and chatting with me today. I would love to have you back for more topics because I think you guys are sensational and amazing advocates for the dogs that we love. I'm so lucky to have you as members of the Couch Wolves team as well. And I'm going to tell anybody listening that they want to know more information about um working primitive dogs about service dogs about you know disabilities anything like this in general i know these two are a wealth of information and huge advocates for what they stand for so please reach out to them you can reach out to them via um the but the facebook group or also the forum and you know we're all happy to talk to you about any of these subjects and i know we're going to revisit this in the future anything you guys would like to say um in closing
1: just thanks for having us on
0: Oh, my pleasure. Anything you'd like to add, Courtney? I had such a great time talking to both of you,
2: and I can tell that we're going to have a, a, a lot of great conversations in the future. Love you, Regina. Love you, too, Molly. Oh, Love
0: you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and I want to thank all the listeners, too, today who followed along with our great podcast. And thank you again for being return listeners if this is the second time you've listened to this podcast. We're hoping to have future podcasts out every two to three weeks we are all, all working and many of us dog training or dog trainer individuals. So getting these out takes a little while, but again, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate your feedback. Um, once you're finished with this podcast, if you have the time, hop on over to our forum, couchwolves.com slash forum, and tell us your thoughts and uh, let us know about other topics that you'd like to have us cover. Anyway, thanks again and look forward to having you guys listen to us next time.